So we're continuing our series, Discover the Heart of God. Today we see God's heart to invite us into a kingdom of joy. And it's going to be a little bit of a wrestling match because we're going to have to wrestle with our own hearts this morning. Hear these words from the Gospel of Mark. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Is it worth the cost to follow Jesus? Is it worth the cost to follow Jesus? I saw that question kind of rolling around in the head of my friend as we sat and talked about the gospel. For today's purposes, we'll call him Mark. You see, Mark knew Jesus. His grandmother had made sure of it as he was growing up that he knew who Jesus was. And Mark actually liked Jesus. He liked the idea of grace. He liked the things Jesus offered. He even liked the life that Jesus called him to. And yet, that wasn't quite enough. Even though Mark had had the experience of a come to Jesus moment at one of his lows in life, he was still wrestling with this question, is it worth the cost to follow Jesus? I met Mark at a Bible study in the St. Louis County Jail. And it wasn't his first time there. His last come to Jesus moment was in that same jail. And as we wrestled with the question on that day, it was a harder question for, her to, for him to answer than it was for me. Because if Mark was going to follow Jesus, it was going to mean big differences in his life. Because his family viewed him as their means to a certain income to maintain a certain kind of lifestyle. Because all of his friends were tied up in his work and they saw him as just a means to push the drugs that they wanted to peddle around. If he was going to follow Jesus, he would be on the wrong side of a gang and his safety would be in jeopardy. See, for Mark to follow Jesus, he had to give up everything. There was no doubt about it. Everybody could see that he had to give up everything. But as we sat there and there were people who were able to sympathize with his situation far more than I could, they came to the consensus, is it worth it to follow Jesus? The answer was absolutely yes. Because even the cost of everything that we could obtain in our entire lives is nothing compared to what Jesus brings. You see that question, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it worth the cost? That's really the question we're addressing in the passage today. Because Jesus comes. He's coming actually to bring God's kingdom of joy to the lives of people and they are weighing the cost. So as Jesus shows up in Galilee, he shows up preaching this message. 
And it's really a simple sermon. Honestly, it's a lot shorter than any sermon you will probably ever hear me preach. Uh, Great message. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the gospel, and then he tells you exactly what to do, repent and believe in the gospel, which is that the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, Jesus comes into our world, and he brings God's kingdom of joy. That's a big deal. That is way better than anything we'll ever accomplish, because God's kingdom of joy is what we have hoped for from the beginning, because it's what we were created for. God's kingdom of joy is what fulfills us in ways that nothing else in this world can because God's kingdom of joy, when it comes and when it is here fully on the last day, when that kingdom comes, we will experience no more of the things that weigh us down. All of that sin that kind of still clings to us, the sins that we wish we could separate ourselves from, it's gonna be gone. All of the anxiety we have from living in the middle of sinful relationships where people sin against us and we sin back, all of that anxiety will fall away. All of the sickness that weighs us down, all of the sickness that makes our lives so hard when our loved ones are going through it, all of that sickness will be healed. When Jesus returns, when the, when the kingdom of God comes full of joy, there will only be life. There will be no more grieving. We will experience the life that God had for us. That kingdom is so far beyond anything we could even come close to in this life. And Jesus is saying that that kingdom is at hand, and he's proving it. Because this is the the gospel of Mark is about Jesus proving this sermon that he preaches right here. The kingdom of God is at hand as Jesus puts his foot on the neck of Satan. In In the passages following this one, he casts out a demon. He casts out sickness by healing. He casts out death by bringing life and and he gives the ultimate proof of all of it at the end of the gospel as even the centurion confesses this truly is the son of God and then Jesus rises from the dead just like he said he would. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus proves it through his ministry. He proves it through the church gathered here. Jesus is here and so the kingdom is near. And then he tells us how to respond. Repent and believe. It's a pretty simple sermon, and yet the entire gospel of Mark is what he takes to preach it through his actions and words throughout the gospel. And Martin Luther, actually, is one of the people that realizes this and identifies it. And when the church was going through its troubles back in 1517, and he posts his 95 theses, or points of argument, against the church, this is a verse that he quotes because this is one of the ones that we get wrong so often. He quotes Jesus saying, repent and believe in the gospel, and says, when Jesus said repent, he intended that the entire Christian life would be one of repentance. And somebody asked me this week, what daily things can I add to my life to make me, to bring my relationship with God closer? And I think my answer had something to do with the typical things. We have to read the Bible. We have to spend time in prayer. You have to, it's helpful to go to church weekly. All of those things are really good. That's our, that's our workout. That's our practice of the Christian life. 
But all of those things are really like the jars of clay that carry the gospel. All of those things are intended to bring us this very thing that Jesus tells us to do here. All of those things are intended to help us repent and believe in the gospel. Because repentance is the entire Christian life. That's how we grow in it, through repenting and believing in the gospel, through our hearts being awakened every single day of our lives. And I know that some people might say, well, Lutherans kind of get stuck in the repentance. We kind of get stuck feeling sorry for ourselves so much that we, that we don't really do anything. And what we really need to do is just work harder, try harder, and be better. And I think that that perspective is kind of like saying, I, I have a football team, and we're not going to watch film anymore. We're not going to see what we've been doing wrong. Instead, we're just going to try harder. And so you'll do the workouts, you'll do the practices, but you can work out as hard as you want and practice as hard as you want. But when you're in a cover two and your safety is coming down on a dig while they're running seams, you're gonna get burned. And I'm still a little bitter about the Browns game a couple weeks ago, but you have to watch the film. You have to know what you did wrong so that you can correct it so that we can move in the Christian life. It is essential. Repentance is essential. And as much as we are exercising in our reading of the scriptures and in our gathering together to worship, those things are important too because if we're out of shape, we're not going to win games. But if we're getting killed out there, we have to watch the film. We have to examine our hearts. And we have to realize that our hearts are often chasing after the wrong things. The reason we fail to live the Christian life so often is that our hearts are wrong. And so Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. And what we see in the next couple of verses is people doing that. So Jesus comes into the life of Simon and Andrew. Now, Simon and Andrew, they were pretty successful. They had respect of the community. They were fishermen, which was a very highly respected occupation in that region because Galilee kind of relied on their fishermen. Those were the guys that put food on the table, not just for their families, but for the whole town. And Peter and Andrew, if you ever go to their home in Capernaum, Peter's house, what they claim is Peter's house, is actually huge. So if you believe that that really is Peter's house, he was a very successful fisherman. He, Simon and Andrew, had attained the respect of the community. They had attained a solid income. They had attained a kind of value and validation from their community through the occupation that they held. And you wouldn't wouldn't blame them for their hearts going after that respect and that validation because they were doing a good job of earning it. But when Jesus shows up, they, they don't care about the respect and the validation or the income that they get from their occupation. When Jesus shows up, he changes everything because he comes and stands on the shore of Galilee. And when he says these words, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, it's not just some vagabond preacher from the backwoods Nazareth who's standing on the shore. It's the son of God. And he speaks not just a human word, 
He speaks a word of God, the same word of God that was in the beginning that created the world. Jesus speaks this word that moves reality to Simon and Andrew. And at the word of God, there is no argument. There is no deliberation. There is no, is this really worth it? They drop their nets. They drop their occupation. They leave it all and they follow Jesus. I think our challenge this morning, one of them is, do we have that same faith to leave it all and follow Jesus? Now, it doesn't always look like leaving your occupation behind, but it does look like finding your respect and your validation, not in the occupation, not in the vocation, not in whatever it is that we involve ourselves in, but finding it in something much deeper. Finding it in Jesus, who brings God's kingdom of joy. I know Andy was a used car salesman. And if you know anything about the reputation of a used car salesman, all used car salesmen despise the reputation. (laughs) But he had this kind of dual purpose, being a used car salesman, but also recognizing that he was a Christian and his entire job was to bring this kingdom of God. Now, as a used car salesman, he also recognized the fact that sometimes it looked really nice, really beneficial to him to push somebody to buy something that they didn't need or want. He knew he had the ability to do it. It would look good for his boss. It would look good for his financials at the end of the quarter. But as a Christian, he knew better. And so even though sometimes the end of the quarter, he would be a little bit behind because he he chose not to push something on somebody that they didn't need. He did it because he recognized that this vocation was to share the love of Christ. And today, Andy has completely dropped his nets and left. He's a pastor up in Minnesota because he wanted to spend his life selling something that everybody needs. But dropping our nets doesn't always look like becoming a pastor. Sometimes it looks like recognizing that when I come home and I'm ranting about my boss or my coworker or something that went on at work that I wasn't happy about, Recognizing that in that moment, when I'm not putting things in the best construction, in that moment, it's about more than trying harder. It's about examining my heart and realizing that in some way, for some reason, I am trying to find respect and validation or income or security or whatever it is in my occupation or the things I'm involved in instead of finding those in Christ who brings a kingdom of joy, who shows us the love of giving his entire life for us, who gives us the validation of calling us his children, and who has the respect to welcome us into his mission to be fishers of men. Simon and Andrew saw this. They left their kingdom behind because Jesus brought God's kingdom of joy. Andy saw this. He left his kingdom behind because Jesus brought God's kingdom of joy. And James and John did the same. Now for James and John, it's a little bit different here at at this final passage because they are living towards the Jewish dream, which is very different than the American dream. 
It's not to move away from home and to be self-sufficient and make your own house and your own white picket fence and your own occupation. For James and John, the Jewish dream that they wanted to live was to have the family business, to uphold the family business, and to raise their children so that they would raise their children and die in the same place that their great-grandfather raised his children and died. They wanted to be there in Galilee more than anything. They wanted to inherit the family business, and they were next in line to do it. For James and John, their hopes and dreams were right around the corner. They were following them faithfully. And then Jesus shows up. And when Jesus calls out to them, they don't just leave the enterprise that Zebedee had built up. They leave their father. They leave their father and go to follow Jesus. And in doing that, they leave behind all of their hopes and dreams because they recognize that Jesus is better than any hopes and dreams they might have. I think oftentimes our hopes and dreams, just like James and John, they're caught up in our families. They're caught up in the blessings that God has given us of of a a good wife or, or faithful children or the parents that we have. Our hopes and dreams are often caught up in these things. But what James and John recognized is that without Jesus, pursuing lives of happiness by having the perfect Facebook friendly family is going to be pursuing an empty life. Their hopes and dreams were going to be empty without a Messiah who would rescue them, who would rescue them from the kingdom of this world, who would rescue them even from the own, their own kingdoms that they were trying to build. Jesus was bringing God's kingdom of joy to James and John so that we, we can also see this and recognize that these little kingdoms that we build, well, they can fall away too. I don't need to look to my family to find the love and respect that I know that God has given me. I don't need to look to my family as the hope and dream that I have, that we have this perfect, cohesive family that's awesome all the time because if we've lived life, we've recognized that even though I love my family, even though my family comes together well, my family won't always be there. And sometimes families fall apart. Sometimes sin chafes at the fabric of everything we've built We must recognize that our hopes and dreams aren't the best plan that God has for us. The best plan that God has for us is what he will accomplish in his life as Jesus brings his kingdom again and again. And that doesn't mean that you leave all your families behind. But it does mean that we recognize that whether it's our family, whether it's our job, whether it's whatever we are involved in, these things aren't designed to be the gifts that bring us joy and happiness in this life. They're the things that God designs to bring us the joy of his kingdom. Our families are made to do that. 
Our occupations are made to do that, to bring the joy of God's kingdom into our lives so that we can then bring the joy of that kingdom into the lives of others because we have the love of a God who loves us fearlessly. We have the respect of a God who welcomes us into his vocation. And as we look at all of this unfolded in front of us and ask the question, is it worth it to follow Christ? Is it really worth the cost? Well, we know the answer is absolutely yes. That's like saying, is it better financially if I give you $10 today or a million dollars a month from now? I could go bankrupt tomorrow, but it is better financially to have a million dollars a month from now. In the same way, even if I have to sacrifice everything, even if I left it all behind or reinterpreted it completely, even if I had to turn my heart away and repent again from from chasing after the wrong hopes and dreams, no matter what it costs, it is completely worth the cost because Jesus is inviting you. He has brought you his kingdom and it's a kingdom of joy and we are in his presence as he brings it to us again this morning.